Well, I would like for you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 8 is where we find our place this morning. Nehemiah chapter number 8. If you're visiting with us or perhaps left your Bible at home, these scriptures will be available for you on the screen as we follow along together. Nehemiah chapter number 8, and we're going to read the 12 verses or the first 12 verses of the chapter as we continue our series on core convictions. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 1, now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for this very purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadana, I've been saying Hashbanana all week, <laughs> Zechariah, and Meshulam. That right there is the most difficult part of this sermon today. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Benai, Sherebi, Jamin, Akab, Shabethai, Hodajai, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, and the Levites, which we're grateful their names are not mentioned, helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat. Drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. 
For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Well, we are in our series here on Sunday mornings called Core Convictions. Core convictions are simply a summary of how our theology as a church and our motives as a church express themselves. That's what we mean when we talk about core convictions. We have our theology, that is our statement of faith, a summary of the core biblical doctrines of the Bible that we hold to by faith. And then we have our motivation, our mission statement, we We do what we do to glorify God and exalt His gospel. And so we take our theology, we take our mission, our motives, and we we bring it together in what we call core convictions. And the core convictions, again, is how our theology and our mission, our motive, express themselves practically. And we've looked at two ways that... uh, Uh, We express these things practically in our congregation. Two core convictions already. Number one, we looked at the core conviction of meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. That is, we join ourselves together to submit our Christian discipleship to the shepherding, fellowship, and ministry of this local church. That was core conviction number one. Meaningful membership. Core conviction number two that we looked at last Sunday is gathering together. Gathering together. That is, we faithfully gather together each week for corporate worship, for Bible teaching, and for Christian fellowship. And so we're just walking through core convictions of our church, things that we have stood upon in our 15 years of existence, and what we center on as a church family. This is a beautiful time, if you're visiting with us this morning, a beautiful time to kind of come into the ministry of Laurel and try to figure out what this place is all about. Our core convictions, we believe in meaningful membership, we believe in gathering together. Today, we look at core conviction number three. And core conviction number three, as you see there on your screen, is expository preaching. Expository preaching. Now with each one of these core convictions, we've given you a subtitle. So let me give you the subtitle, uh, the phrase that we want to pledge ourselves to as we talk about expository preaching. What do we mean by that? That is, we preach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as a vision to make the Word of God fully known and the people of God fully mature. So this is what expository preaching is. This is what it looks like as a core conviction of our church. We preach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as a vision to make the Word of God fully known and the people of God fully mature. Our theme this morning is very important to me. It is my ministry passion. Expository preaching. 
I began preaching at the age of 15, the first revival I ever did in a church. My mom had to take me because I wasn't even old enough to take myself. It was great to stand up in that church in Kannapolis that day and say, it's good to have my mom with me here today who drove me to this meeting. (laughs) I began preaching at the age of 15. After watching my father, a pastor, powerfully preach God's word week after week, God arrested my heart with an intense desire to give my life to preach his word. Even as much as I love sports, and I do love sports. My senior year of high school, I willingly walked away from those things in order to give all that I had to studying the art of preaching. That's how much I loved it. That's how much God had arrested my heart to do it. Both my graduate and my undergraduate degrees were given to the study of preaching. And while it may be apparent to you who have listened to me week after week that I may not have studied preaching enough, it is nevertheless my calling. And it is my passion as well as my great joy and my great struggle, preaching. And preaching God's word is my primary responsibility as a shepherd to this church. Nothing that I do is more important than the studying and preaching of God's word. There's a lot that I do, but nothing is to take the place of studying and preaching God's Word. And this is because preaching is the means that God has chosen to build and preserve His church. Without preaching, sinners are not converted. Without preaching, Christians are not developed. You see, without the faithful and accurate preaching of the Bible, a local church will not survive the onslaught of depravity and darkness, especially in the culture in which we reside. We need preaching. Do you hear me this morning? We need preaching. And we need the preaching of God's Word. And unless... The biblical preaching of God's word remains at the center of our church as a core conviction of all that we are and do. Then we will eventually deteriorate into nothing more than a religious memory of what once was. I don't want this building or any other building we may build with the Lord's help on Plaza Road Extension to be looked at 25, 30 years from now as a museum of what once was. But it will become that. As it happens in many locations, when the preaching of God's Word is not the centerpiece of all that we are and all that we do. And this is why, as a core conviction of our church, We hold dearly our theological conviction that we preach the Bible. We preach the Bible. Our text today is Nehemiah chapter 8. It has been called the quintessential demonstration of expository preaching. 
Now that term, expository, it may be new to some. I want you to make sure that you understand that you're hearing me clearly, all right? I'm not saying suppository. I'm saying expository, all right? I want to make sure that that some people I've preached on this subject before, they go home and say, what was the deal with the preacher preaching on suppository preaching? I've heard some preaching that was suppository preaching, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about expository preaching. And while that may be a new term to some of you, that's okay, because what we're going to do is we're going to define it as we go, as we look at our text, as we understand why this is a core conviction of our church and has been since we began 15 years ago. So what does our text today reveal to us about preaching? Three things that I want us to see. Number one, first of all, we see the priority of preaching The priority of preaching. Now keep your Bibles open. Look at it there in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. All the people gathered together. Here it is again. They gathered together as one, as one people in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Now I'm not going to park here because we spent an entire sermon on it last Sunday. But it should at least be pointed out again that gathering together is not optional for God's people. They all came together to a designated place for the purpose of hearing the Word of God. They gathered together as one in this location to hear the Word of God. And verse 1 says that the people told Ezra, look at it there, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. So they're gathering together in this open square and they tell Ezra to bring the book when he comes. Bring the book. The book. Now, I want to help you. This was not a self-help book. It's not a collection of blog posts that has been formulated together. No, this was the book above all books. The book that came from the Lord himself to Israel. This book that they wanted Ezra to bring was the Word of God. The Word of God. It's very important here that we get this because all preaching that is truly Christian preaching begins with Scripture. It begins with the Word of God. It begins with Scripture. It's shaped by Scripture. It's it's driven by Scripture. That is, preaching that is truly Christian. It is soaked in Scripture. And any preaching that is not soaked in Scripture is not true preaching. We see that throughout the Bible. We see it here in Ezra's example. He brought the book because that's what true Christian preaching is centered on. It is centered on the book above all books. It is centered on the Word of God. And what is interesting here to me is not only did Ezra bring this book, the people wanted him to bring the book. They wanted him to bring the book. It was a testimony of their hunger for God. They didn't want self-help. They didn't want motivation. No, they wanted the voice of God. They wanted the word of God. Ezra, bring us the book. Bring us the book. Friends, you don't need to come here week after week to hear what I have to say. You need to come here to hear what God has to say. And I recognize that. What I say doesn't matter. What God says makes all the difference. So you can rest assured this morning that when your pastor comes to the pulpit each and every work week, I bring the book when I come. And you should too, by the way. 
bring the book as we study it together. This book that I hold in my hand, it's not a motivational book of speeches. It's not a book of self-help practices. It is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word of God. It all starts with the book. It all starts with the book. This is so important. So important. Because it's not just the act of preaching that the Bible emphasizes. It's what we preach. We preach the book. We preach the word of God. And Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the word, Timothy. Now, now you'll have to, you'll have to bear with me this morning because not only do I study this for a living and it's my education, I, I'm, I'm also, uh, uh, one that is frequently used in conferences and seminary classes and speaking on this subject. I often tell, tell preachers when we're talking about this, let's not put the emphasis in the wrong place in 2 Timothy 4 2. Because what Paul told Timothy was not preach. We get that out of order. We think something is of God when we find us a preaching machine. Man, he really brought it. Brought what? I hope he brought the word. But we celebrate emotion. We, we celebrate volume. We celebrate passion. We, we celebrate delivery. And listen, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. So the emphasis is not just on the preaching. It's on preaching the word the word the book he says preach the word timothy be instant in season and out of season that is preach it faithfully when it's convenient preach it and when it's not convenient preach it when it's popular preach it when it's not popular preacher whatever the season you're in timothy preach the book preach the word of god when we put the emphasis on the preaching instead of the word, then we'll end up preaching ourselves instead of Jesus. We'll preach our ideas. We'll preach our opinions, our framework, our agendas, our politics, our hobby horses, if you will. Reminds me of the preacher who hated rock and roll so badly. And it always got in his sermons, no matter where he was preaching. I mean, he always seemed to hit on it. And so he would say, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, and here's my outline. Point number one, the sin of Adam. Point number two, the provision of God. Point number three, a few comments about rock music. It has nothing to do with the text. It has nothing to do with what the Word of God is speaking of in that particular passage of Scripture. But that's what happens when we focus on preaching instead of the Word. We, we preach ourselves, our opinions, our ideas, our, our hobby horses. You see, when a text of Scripture is not shaping the sermon, then preaching becomes focused on things that really don't matter. Extra-biblical things. Unbiblical things. And in the end, it's those things, those sermons that hurt 
the body of Christ. It doesn't build up the body of Christ to come into an environment where all I hear is one man's opinions and ideas. No, that tears the body of Christ down. It divides the body of Christ. It hurts the body of Christ. What helps and builds up and strengthens and unifies is the Word of God. So as in Ezra's case, the preacher must bring the book. And he must keep his finger in the book as he preaches the word of God. We call this staying on the line, staying on the line. Imagine with me this morning, we have this invisible straight line. And so what we want to do in our preaching is we want to make sure that we're staying on the line where the word of God is. We don't want to go to above the line. We don't want to go below the line. We want to stay right here on the line. Because if we go above it, we venture into legalism. If we go uh, below it, we venture into liberalism. No, we want, to, we want to stay on the line of the word of God. We want to, as a golf analogy... Keep it in the fairway and avoid the rough. That's what we want to do when we preach. This is what we're focusing on. We speak where the Bible speaks. We remain silent where the Bible is silent. We speak loudly where the Bible is loud. And we whisper where the Bible whispers. It's all about the book. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who misunderstand preaching as an opportunity just to get some things off my chest. I got some things I want to say. Friend, we do not need what someone has to say unless what they have to say is the Word of God. The book. It's all about the book. God reveals His Word to us, as Titus tells us, through preaching. 1 Corinthians tells us in 1 Thessalonians that the power we need to grow in Christ and to live victoriously, it comes through preaching. And so it's on account of the priority that preaching is to have in our lives that we must take it seriously. We must take it seriously. And I'll leave you with a couple of thoughts before we move on to the second point. Taking it seriously means that we pursue biblical preaching. We pursue it. Like the people gathered together in this open square, they wanted it. They wanted it. They flocked after it. They loved it. They couldn't get enough of it. They pursued biblical preaching. And so we should pursue it. But we also should protect ourselves from unbiblical preaching. We should protect ourselves from unbiblical preaching. One of my responsibilities as a pastor is not only to lead the flock and to feed the flock, 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 you. It is also to protect the flock. It's why I'm very, very careful about who provides the preaching from this pulpit. Because we want to pursue biblical preaching, we want to protect ourselves from unbiblical preaching. I'll leave that with you to think through yourselves. But what we discover here in verses 2 and 3, it tells us that everyone who could hear with understanding, everyone who could hear with understanding, they, they gather together. They gather together. 
What does that mean, those who could hear with understanding? I, I think there's a play here on children in the environment. Perhaps to show us that even in these days, there were, for lack of a better term, nurseries for those who could not understand. The, the emphasis is on those who could give their attention to it. So, so, they, so they gathered everyone together, men, women, and those who could understand, and they gave their attention to the priority of God's word. That's the first thing that we see, the priority of preaching. Write down number two, a vision for preaching, a vision for preaching. Well, look at verse four. Ezra stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for that very purpose. So, so there, there's a reason this morning that I'm standing up here on a platform today, a platform that, that centralizes the Word of God, all right? This, this design that we have in this church and many other churches, it's, it's a reflection of biblical history, putting the preacher where he can be seen and heard with the Word of God at the forefront of the gathering. It's why we have a pulpit. Because we want everybody who comes into this place to realize that the main thing that takes place here is the opening and declaring of the word of God. And so this is what they did. They built this large platform for Ezra to stand up on, a pulpit for him to put the book on and open the book. And verse 5 says that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Uh, Verse 7, I'm not going to go through those names again. I'll just tell you that the men listed here helped the people to understand the law. They helped the people to understand the law. Now, we're going to see this phrase again in verse 8. It's repeated twice for us. So I think it's best that we acknowledge the two dynamics here of what is meant. First, there's this need for understanding is an issue of translation. It's an issue of translation. They build the platform, the people gather together, Ezra brings the book, he brings the book, he opens the book, he begins to read from the book, and these people, these men, his colleagues, if you will, are helping people translate the book. This is important contextual understanding because due to the Babylonian captivity, this particular generation of Jews that we're reading, back, reading about in, in, in the book of Nehemiah, that they had been living in a foreign country, and they had been living there for 70 years. So a lot of them would have spoken Aramaic as their primary language, along with some Hebrew. There would have also been a cultural challenge between their heritage in Israel and at least the last 70 years of the cultural immersion that they experienced in Babylon. We have some similar understanding of that when we read the book of Daniel. We find that they were brought into this captivity in Babylon. And what do they do? They even changed their names. I mean, they were totally immersed in the whole culture of Babylon, the way they ate, the way they, they talked to each other, even their, their language. So, So in very practical terms, these Levites in Nehemiah chapter 8 assisting Ezra would have been involved in the hard work of translating the scriptures, translating the scriptures clearly and plainly so that the people could receive it in a language, so they could receive it in words that they could understand. 
It's another biblical proof, evidence of why we need the ongoing translation of the Bible. That as language changes, as words change, definitions change. And so in order to give the people of God the word of God in the way that they need to hear it and understand it, we have to be willing to translate it for the people to understand it in their language, in their words. And so that is the first of the second dynamic. We'll come to the second dynamic in just a moment. But notice what he does. As the people are translating it, verse number 8 says that they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them understand the reading. This is the second dynamic of understanding the reading. So what are they doing? They are reading distinctly, they are giving the sense, and they are helping them to understand what has been written. And this, friends, is expository preaching, all right? This is expository preaching. They are reading the text, they are explaining the text, and they are applying the text, applying the text. You see, biblical exposition is not reading a verse of Scripture and then go on talking about whatever we want to talk about. Some people treat the Bible, some preachers that is, they treat the Bible as the national anthem at a sporting event. You hear it at the beginning, but they never go back to it again the rest of the time they're together. So that's not expository preaching. That's not biblical exposition, reading a verse of Scripture and then going on and talking about whatever we want to talk about. It's not reading a verse of Scripture and then telling a bunch of emotional and sensational stories to work us up. It's not even showing a movie clip and then drawing biblical lessons that we can help understand what we're supposed to do. That's not true preaching. Biblical exposition is when a preacher, as we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8 and throughout the New Testament, reads a verse, explains the verse, and then applies that verse in the context of how God clearly intended us to understand it. The point is, we need a healthy diet of this kind of teaching and preaching. We need to know what the Word of God says. We cannot live off of junk food. Now, for one who loves junk food, it would be nice if we could live off junk food. When I go to the grocery store, I go for Starburst and Jolly Ranchers and cookies. But I can't live off of that. It's fun. It appeals to my flesh, but that doesn't make me healthy. In fact, it makes me unhealthy. And the same is true in the realm of preaching. We can't live off of junk food. Preaching that appeals to the flesh, topics that we want to hear pounded, emotional stories that make us weep, entertainment-driven, theatrical-type stuff. That's junk food. What we need is a healthy diet of the Word of God. Men of God who open the Word of God and say, here's the verse, here's what it says, here's what it means, and here's what we do with it. That's what they do here in verse 8. They read it distinctly, that is clearly. They read it clearly, clearly. And then they gave the sense, they gave the meaning. Here's what the author intended by it. And then in verse 8, they help them to understand the reading. This is the second dynamic of understanding. The first dynamic is the translation dynamic. The second dynamic of understanding is the application. 
is, is the word discernment here, guidance, application. So they opened the book, they gave the sermon, and here's what Ezra does. Here's what it says, here's what it means, and here's what we do. Here's what it says, here's what it means, here's what we do. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we are to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. In other words, we need to read the Word, explain the Word, apply the Word. This is biblical preaching. This is expository preaching. Read it, explain it, apply it. Let me give you another definition. This might help, help you. Expository preaching is reading and explaining the text in such a way that God's intended meaning establishes both the structure and the substance of the sermon. It's reading and explaining the text in such a way that God's intended meaning establishes both the structure and the substance of the sermon. By the way, this is not pragmatism when we talk about expository preaching. In other words, it's not merely a style. This right here is theological. It's a belief that the scripture is sufficient. And that as Martin Luther said, the words of scripture go where our words could never go. So we preach the word. We preach the word. We emphasize the text. We read the text. We explain the text in such a way that God's intended meaning of this text is establishing the structure of the sermon, the points of the sermon, the illustrations of the sermon, the substance of the sermon. It's about reading, explaining, and applying the text. That's what Christian preaching truly is. So every week in my study, when I open God's word of the next chapter, the next verse, I'm asking myself the question, what does God want us to know? And if a parent, what does God want us to do? What does God want us to know? What does God want us to do? I believe the best way for us to accomplish this is by providing God's people a healthy diet of preaching through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it's for that reason, over the past 14 years, I have preached through 37 books of the Bible since 2008. Now, my personal goal, someone asked me this recently, my personal goal is to preach through the Bible twice before I retire. I just turned 40, so I know I need to pick up the pace a little bit. (laughs) But it's my goal. I want to go through the Bible twice before I hang it up and y'all find somebody else. Because it's not a ministry built on me. It's a ministry built on the Word. And the best way for us to have a healthy diet of who God is is to find Him in the Word, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now, this series of sermons that I'm preaching to you right now is just a little unusual. For for most weeks, it's simply next chapter, next verse, and it will in November when we begin the book of Luke. We'll go from Luke 1 to Luke 2 to Luke 3 and so on and so forth. Because God knows what we need. Do you believe that this morning? God knows what we need. And what we need is laid out clearly for us in his word. So what do we do? We let the word set the pace. We let the word establish the agenda. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I really wish you would deal with this Subject. There's a lot of things I've seen posted on social media, and you need to, you need to deal with this. No, we, we let God's Word establish the pace. We let God's Word establish the agenda. 
Well, I wish our church did this, and I wish our church could focus more on these things. Well, listen, we are focused on the Word, and we're going to let the Word dictate where God wants us to go as a local church. And you know what? It never ceases to amaze me how God will lead us to the exact place in Scripture we need. Sometimes when we didn't even know we needed it by simply committing ourselves to walk sequentially through his word. This never became more apparent to me than in 2001, that Sunday morning when I got up here and preached from the book of Hebrews and then went back to my office and collapsed. And subsequently, you know, you know the story. You, you don't know this, but that morning I preached on the gospel of rest. I want you to think about that. My text this morning, that morning in Hebrews chapter 3 was on the gospel of rest. And I go after the conclusion of the sermon and I collapse. You think God was wanting to say something to me? He says, you need to think about what you're preaching, Jonathan. It always amazes me, even when we don't know we need it. That by being in the middle of 2 Samuel chapter 10, that God brings to light something that we didn't even know we needed. That's why we commit ourselves to walk sequentially through his word. This is our vision for preaching. This is our vision for preaching. Let me give you Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll, then we'll move on to the, next, to the next and final point. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this in verse 24. I think it's there on the screen. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, that I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. All right, so here's what he says God has called him to do for that church. Verse 25, to fulfill the word of God. In other words, to make the word of God fully known. That's what God has called me to do. That's what Paul says in the church at Colossae. I have been made a minister of the church and I have a stewardship, and my stewardship is to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach. Preach. We're preaching Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. But notice this next phrase, that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. So he says, it's my responsibility to make the word of God fully known in order that the people of God might be fully mature. That, that, that's kind of my little motto for ministry, if you will. My life verse, if you want to call it that. It is my responsibility to make the word of God fully and completely known from Genesis to Revelation because it is that which the word of God tells us makes the people of God, the people of God, fully mature. And Paul says there in verse 29, it is to this end I labor, struggling, striving, struggling, struggling according to God's energy, which works in me powerfully, mightily. He says, I work hard for this. I struggle to fulfill the word of God, to make it fully known to you. You hear what he's saying? I struggle. I struggle. I labor. I'm not doing it on myself. The only way that I'm doing it is because of the power and energy of God that's working in me. He says, I'm struggling with this week after week after week to make the word of God fully known to you so that the people of God can be fully mature. I said at the beginning of the sermon that preaching is my great joy. 
And it is. I love it. I love it. But it's also my great struggle. There's a burden as God's messenger of making sure I get it right. Some of you think this is easy. I just, I just maybe sleep in all day on Monday, go play golf on Tuesday, go for a boat ride on Wednesday, you know, play some baseball on Thursday, binge Netflix on Friday, and then Saturday I pop in the office and say, all right, here's where we're at. Let me write down a few notes and we'll just take a paycheck and go on with it. Listen, I mean no disrespect, but are you crazy? Sometimes I open this thing on Monday and I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea, Lord, what you're saying here. And I stare at it for 10 hours. And that, that, that blank piece of paper in front of me is blank when I go home. And, th- and then Tuesday, maybe I, maybe I get it. I start jotting some things down and so on and so forth. I'm laboring, I'm laboring, I'm struggling because I need to get it right. I have to represent him. I'm a mailman. That's what I am. I'm a mailman. God says, here's the letter stamped to Laurel Baptist Church. You take it and give it to him. It's not my right to open it and to reword it. No, it's my right to give it to you the way the author intended you to have it. That's hard work. Lord, what did you mean by this? What's the nuance of this word? What what does it say in the original language? How does this apply? Listen, I can't figure out how it applies to Charlotte until I first figure out how it applied to Corinth. So so, so there's accuracy. There's clarity. There's transparency. So on and so forth. Bruce Thillman said this, there is no special honor in preaching, only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little at a time and to know each time you do it that you must do it again next week. A vision for preaching. Finally, number three, our response to preaching. Our response to preaching. So... Sprinkled throughout this chapter are the ways that we are to respond to the preaching of God's word. And it takes three people to make preaching effective, by the way. The author, the messenger, and the listener. All right? The author, the messenger, and the listener. And so we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8 this quintessential demonstration of expository preaching here in the Old Testament. We, We see the people's response to God's word. Let me give these to you as we wrap it up. Number one, they gathered to hear it. They gathered to hear it. Verse number one, all the people gathered together as one. Verse three, Ezra read from the book in the open square from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. You see what's happening here? They wanted this. They they gathered to hear it. They gathered themselves together to hear the word and not just to hear it for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. I want you to think about what's understood here by morning to midday. This is six hours of preaching. Some of you have been looking at your clocks already for the last five minutes. If we were in Nehemiah chapter 8, I ain't even anywhere near from being a quarter done. So anytime you want to get biblical with me, let's get biblical there, all right? (laughs) Biblical preaching is six-hour preaching. I couldn't even come up with stuff for six hours, to be honest with you. 
take me three weeks before I could come up with a six-hour sermon. But nonetheless, nonetheless, what we see here is that these people wanted it. From 6 o'clock in the morning, from 6 o'clock in the morning until noon, they gathered to hear the word. And then later in the chapter, it tells us that they did this while standing up. They stood up for six hours hearing the preaching of God's word. Not only that, the text tells us that they did it for seven days in a row. That's what we call, friends, hunger. Hunger. So what's our response to preaching? We gather to hear it. We gather to hear it. Number two, they gave it their full attention. They gave it their full attention. Verse 3 says that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I wonder this morning, does the word of God have your full attention? Do you come to the preaching time on Sundays and Wednesdays attentively? Attentively, carefully? That's why we have to be careful. I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm one of these guys that gets distracted easy. I, I could be working in the office. You send me a text message, and I'm going the other direction, right? I forget two hours later what in the world I was working on. I notice what it's like to sit in a service like this and have your, have, have your phone out, and you get a message or a sports center update, or, or you, you get lost in, in the, the boredom of what I'm trying to share to you, and so you decide to check your Facebook messages, and, and 20 minutes later, you're like, what did he say? Oh, friends, does the word of God not, not be honored enough in our lives that we give it our full attention? They gave it their full attention. They listened carefully to what was being said. Number three, they showed respect for it. They showed respect for it. Verse 5 says that when he opened it, all the people stood up. That, that is, they held the book in high esteem and with respect. They were responding gratefully that the word of God had been given to them. They were responding humbly to what was being shared. They respected the preaching time. You know, sometimes we may have a speaker come in, as we did in July every week as I took a little break. Sometimes we may have a speaker come in whose style is a little different than mine. Whose structure of preaching through a passage might not be identical to what I give you week after week. But listen very carefully to me. If that man brings the word, and he will if he's coming here to preach. The sermon demands our humble response. It demands our humble response, a response that acknowledges he may not do it the way that our pastor does it. It may not be the style or the structure that I prefer, but I need what this man of God has prepared for me. I fear that those who love and study the art of preaching will subtly develop an arrogant posture toward preaching. An arrogant posture that looks down upon a man of God or his sermon if it's not delivered in the manner that they prefer. Can I just add here, brothers and sisters, stay humble. This is God's word. We need it regardless of how it's being delivered to us. Some people are very animated as I am. Some people are very monotone as you probably wish that I was. 
Some people are very clear. They point it out. This is point number one. This is point number two. This is point number three. Some people are kind of all over the place. But they're bringing the word. We don't ever want to criticize another man who comes into this pulpit or another staff member or another layman in our church who, who may preach just a little bit differently than what you get every week. You invite me over to your house for supper. You may not fix the tacos exactly the way my wife fixes them. Unless you're Hispanic and they're probably going to be a lot better. But... But I'm going to be thankful for the meal. And you'll never hear me sitting around your table. You know what? These tacos ain't as good as my wife's. Now, I may go home later that night (laughs) and pull my sweetheart to the side and say, you know what, babe? They just don't do it the way you do it. (laughs) But there's respect for what is being given to me. Are, are, Are you with me this morning? I pastor a wonderful group of people who love preaching. You listen to it all the time, even beyond myself. But stay humble. Stay humble. Because whether it's Steve, Simon, Lee, me, Austin, whoever it is that comes into this pulpit, if they're bringing the word of God, they're bringing something that you need. Okay, consider that rabbit chased. Number four, (laughs) they worship God on behalf of it. They worship God on behalf of it. Verse 6 says, then... Then all the people, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. I'm looking at my notes. I wrote, then all the popes answered and said, that, that, that's a misprint, by the way. That's a misprint. <laughs> then all the people answered. Here's what they said. Amen. Amen. While lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their head and worshiped the Lord. They were moved by the blessing that it was to hear and understand the word of God. So they vocally affirmed their faith in what was being read. They they vocally affirmed their faith in what was being preached by saying amen and raising their hands in worship to the God who graciously gave them the gift of his word. Some of you who are new to church have been wondering, you know, all these people do this amen and praise the Lord. I've always wondered where that comes from. Well, this is where it came from. They read the word of God. They preached the word of God. The people were moved by it. They liked it. And what did they say? Amen. Amen. I've heard sometimes preachers say that when we come to the house of God, we ought to, we ought to act as excited as we do when we go to a, to a ball game, to a football game. Well, let me tell you something. I want you to act at church like you do at a football game. <laughs> I can just see you now blowing a whistle at me. Are you kidding me, preacher? That's terrible. Terrible. I can do better than you can do. That's how some of you act at a football game. I don't need you acting like that here. Your team does good. You like what they're doing. You stand up. You wave your rally towel. Woo! Hey, please do not do that at church. Very distracting to me. But an amen every once in a while is all right. Lifting up their hands in worship to God is okay. That's what they do. They responded because they were moved by the preaching. Number five, they yielded to its work in their life. They yielded to its work in their life. 1 Thessalonians 2 tells us that The preaching of God's word, it supernaturally works in those who humbly hear it. And maybe that's the why so many people avoid it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the heart. And that's what happens here. Verse 9, Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levites, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. Do not weep. Because all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. 
But friends, this is a scene of conviction and repentance. The, the people were yielding to its work. But why did the leaders tell them to stop mourning? To stop weeping? Because listen to me. Yes, we are great sinners. And the word of God reveals that to us. But the word of God also reveals to us that he is a great savior. That though our sins are many, his mercy is more. And so he tells them in verse 10, go on, go on. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Man, some of you, that sounds really good right now. Bring on the fat, bring on the sweet tea, and rejoice in the Lord. Because though your sins are many, the mercy and grace of God is great. The joy of the Lord is your strength. They allowed the word to work in their life, which leads me to the next one. They rejoiced over what they heard. They rejoiced over what they heard, verse 12, and all the people rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. They rejoiced. Do you ever just sit and think about the things that God is teaching you in his word? Hey, go home today and rejoice. Lord, you are showing me so much. And then finally, number seven, we're talking about our response to preaching. They, they, they did it all over again. They did it all over again. Now, we didn't read verse 13 a minute ago, but look at it there if you have your Bible open. It says on the second day, the second day, the very next day, the priests and the Levites gathered with Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the Lord, or the words of the law. Then down in verse 18, it says, and also day by day from the first day until the last day. In other words, everything that we just saw in the first 12 verses, they did it again the next day. And they did it again the next day. This was their routine. They came to the preaching of God's word routinely. Sometimes I get bored in the shower. You ever taken a shower and wonder, now did I wash my hair? I can't remember now. <laughs> Your mind is all over the place. Sometimes I'll pick up the shampoo bottle and I'll just, I'm reading. I'm telling you all too much, aren't I? I'm just reading. I'm just reading. Directions. I never knew we had to have directions for shampoo. Directions. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Pretty simple, isn't it? I have to remind my kids this. Lather, rinse, repeat. And so it is when it comes to our need for preaching. We lather, we rinse, repeat. We come, we hear, we respond, and we do it again. Dever, Mark Dever said, if we get this right, expository preaching, all the other marks, or in our case, all the other core convictions of a church will follow. It is the most important thing you can look for in a church. So core convictions. We follow through with meaningful membership. We gather together and we hold fast to expository preaching. Preaching the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse as a vision to make the word of God fully known so that the people of God may be fully mature.